Hi, this is Alyssa McNamara-Reed, and I will be your host for the next two hours. Allow me to introduce myself. I am a certified financial planner practitioner and an investment advisor. I am co-owner of McNamara Financial Services, Inc. in Marshfield, Massachusetts. McNamara Financial is a federally registered investment advisor, and by my definition anyway, is a true family business. We work with clients like you every day, regular people that need help making sound financial decisions or people that want one less thing to worry about. I work with clients for a fee based on assets that I manage or an hourly or flat fee for creating financial plans. I am not compensated via commissions unless I have the pleasure of helping someone with their insurance needs. There are some things worth paying for and perhaps a lifetime of financial security is one of them. I of course cannot guarantee that working with me will ensure a secure financial future. McNamara on Money has been a call-in talk radio show since 1990. I love hearing from listeners and there truly are no dumb questions. In fact, I like the simple questions because everyone should have the answer to those. Just don't call me asking for the next hot investment or which market is going to outperform this year. Number one, that's not the nature of this show. And number two, I have no idea. Any advice I give to a caller is meant to be generic in nature and should be verified with his or her own financial professionals. You will hear about a variety of topics on this show that relate to investments and personal finance. We try to cover topics that people can relate to regardless of their net worth or financial situation. And of course, we try to keep it interesting. I would crunch numbers for two hours or spreadsheet cash flows because I'm a total math nerd, but that wouldn't much make for good radio. Instead, I choose to educate people on topics surrounding big financial events in life, like marriage and divorce, kids in college, death of a loved one, career changes, and of course, retirement. I once heard that it is a smart man that knows what he doesn't know. I'm sure it was my dad that said that, and I'm also sure that it applies to women. That is why I invite guests onto my show that have expertise in different areas also related to personal finance. I feel it's important to note that the opinions of these professionals are not necessarily the opinions of McNamara Financial or any of its advisors. As long as we are on the subject of disclosure, I should note that while we may discuss investments and or markets on this show, that past performance is not indicative of future results. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed, joined this morning by my husband and business partner, Kirk Reed. And you, we are talking about tax stuff today. We're making taxes fun, totally. And uh, we're just talking about some tax planning type stuff and just things to think about tax rates and how they've changed historically. I just think that that's really fun to talk about. And I did one more, I want to do one more calculation just because the numbers are crazy. And, you know, we've been talking about taxes are low, taxes are low compared to history. But, but these calculations, remember the show we did last week, numbers speak louder than words. This is exactly what I mean. So I'm going to do one more example. Are you ready? I'm ready. So I did go back 50 years for this one, just because, uh, let's, so let's see, 1970. Again, there were, right now we have seven tax brackets. Um, back in 1970, for married, filing jointly, there were, do, 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 oh, that's right. It was like 16 or 17. There's crazy brackets. Right now, our top bracket is 37%. Back in 1970, it was 70 and all, and not like, you know, zero to 30 and then jump to 70. It's everything in between. Lots of tax brackets in the 40s, 50s, and 60s. Well, isn't that, isn't that, so, isn't that interesting, though, that the tax, you know, tax brackets have come down, even though as a country we've taken on more debt and we have more, you know, more expenses? I, I guess I, I guess that sounds a little counterintuitive well, to me. I don't know. I was actually, I was actually just trying to 
do that calculation. And I, and I was just doing that as we were coming back on air. So I, my, I didn't fully finish, but I just Googled federal. So the federal debt now, wait, hold on. The current federal debt I'm seeing is $23.3 trillion as of February, 2020. So earlier this year, the federal debt, I guess, could be, if, if Google is giving me the correct answer, $23.3 trillion. Yeah, my, my calculator is not big enough to do any math on this, so don't ask so, me. <laughs> so, well, I was taking out the zeros and doing it without the zeros. <laughs> then I just Googled um, federal debt 1970. So then if I go back to 1970, I'm seeing $371 billion. Hmm. So if the balance.com is correct and the federal debt was $371 billion. So if we future value that I did, again, I was taking out the zeros because it's really hard to do on this small calculator. But so if I do 371 and then if I use two and a half percent inflation over 50 years, I get a future value. Trillions comes right after billions, right? So yeah. I think I'm getting, so 371 billion, again, the debt in 1970 would be the equivalent of 1.3 trillion today. But our actual debt per Google is 23 trillion. Right. So it's, it, yeah. So, so it, it's. So your point is, it's a lot it's, more, it's been, our, our debt is a lot more today than it was 50 years ago when tax brackets were higher. I mean, duh, right? Like we were collecting taxes to help pay the debt and now we're not. I mean, we're collecting taxes, of course, but I mean, I understand. not at the level yeah. we before. I mean, interest rates are low right now and they've been coming down. And so I see, I suppose that helps them kind of service their debt, right? You know, the, whatever, the, yeah. whatever they're paying, you know, the uh, is a little less, you know, a little less expensive to, to cover. But um, yeah, just they, they must, they, I mean, there must, there must be other sources of revenue that they've adjusted to, to help offset, you know, the income tax uh, that they're collecting. I mean, well, or maybe they're not because, because they're, because the debt keeps getting bigger. Yeah. So I think the cons- sort of consensus is just that we can, oh, I, I don't know. I, yeah. This is, that's a little bit out of sight of my purview. Sure. You know, I don't know, exports and uh, I, I don't know, <laughs> GDP, uh, that, that that's a little bit outside my expertise, but, yeah. but yeah, you're right. I mean, the, the debt's a lot higher now and tax brackets are a lot lower. So you would think, okay, well, there's going to be some politician at some point in time that addresses this issue, tax brackets would likely be coming up. So, but just one other quick tax bracket calculation on, and I just did this one on, well, no, I did this one on a, a more like an average income earner and a hiring income earner. So, and I did go back 50 years. I went back to 1970. In 1970, someone that made 50, uh, sorry, a married couple filing joint that made $50,000 back in, this, in 1970 was in the 50% tax bracket and lots of brackets below that in the 40s and 30s and 20s. The present value of $50,000 50 years ago is about, I'm using two and a half percent inflation, is about $172,000. So that same married couple filing jointly, you know, inflationary increases on that. Today, that couple that makes $172,000, which is roughly the equivalent of $50,000 50 years ago, is not in the 50, we don't even have a 50% tax bracket. They're in the 32% tax bracket. 
that's an 18% difference, highest tax bracket to highest tax bracket. And again, I didn't do all the effective calculation, but it's going to be a pretty big difference. That's huge. Wait, how much are they making today? $50,000 today. Did I do the wrong calculation? You said 50000 in 1970, right? Right. And it was how much today? 172000 did I do that wrong? So they're basically in the 22% bracket, right? Oh, 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 did I, oh you're right. Hold on. Yeah, you're you right. You said 32. Did I write that yeah. down wrong? Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. Oh, my God. You're right. Thank you. Oh, my God. That's even, <laughs> that's even, even crazier, better. right? Even better, so, yeah. Yeah, so their taxes due are less than half today than right. they would have been. 50 years ago. Oh my gosh. Thank you. I wrote that down wrong. That's crazy. I, one more. And I promise this is my last one. I promise. It's just so much fun. So say, so similar scenario, we're looking back 50 years to 1970, some, a higher income earner making a married couple making $150,000 50 years ago was in the 66% tax bracket, paying a lot of taxes in the sixties and fifties and forties all up and then paying some at 66%. So pretty significantly more than half their income in taxes. Today, I did a future, so present value, so the equivalent is about 515000 dollars today. So a married couple filing jointly today, making roughly the equivalent money, is in the 35% tax bracket, not the 66% tax bracket. So again, like about half of the taxes due in today's tax world versus, you know, 40, 50 years ago. So those tax brackets have come down quite significantly. So fun to analyze. <laughs> My goodness. How much time do we have? I feel like we could just keep going with that. And I suppose we should touch on different things. It's actually kind of cool to scroll, scroll through the tax brackets too, because in most years there's like, you know, six, eight tax brackets. And then you get to the, like the seventies and the eighties and it's like 15 tax brackets. Then there was a couple years there. What years was it? There was a couple years where there was where there was only two tax brackets. <laughs> it's just like taxes doing taxes would be like so much more simple. 1992 and 91 and 90, there was only two tax brackets. The 15 and the 28. It's like so simple. <laughs> Why do we have to overcomplicate things here in the world of finance and taxes? Anyway, okay. What I wanted to talk about, Kirk, is is I just think it would be helpful to you know kind of go through some demographics of people and things that they should be thinking about. We talked touched on like, you know, younger savers, 30, the 30, 40 somethings, you know, protecting themselves about against uh, tax brackets increasing in the future, get money into Roth if you can. You know, I think having said that, like in those years when you're, you know, maybe starting to raise a family and you're getting into your family home and, you know, life kind of just costs you more in those years and you're working to grow your income and, you know, cash flow can be really tight in those years for some people. And, you know, of course, if that's the case and then, you know, taking taking the tax deduction on your retirement contributions may, might make the most sense so that you can, you know, free up your cash flow and, you know, buy diapers and like food for your kid, of course, and pay your mortgage, you know, and of course, stuff like that. But, you know, if cash flow allows I do think it's great for people to get money into Roths in their younger years. Then, you know, you kind of touched on this a little bit earlier in the show, but, you know, if we think about like people in their 50s and 60s, so, you know, likely in their highest earnings years, and if we factored in no changes to tax code, people in their higher earnings years later in their career should likely be taking deductions, right? Because as you were talking about earlier, they're probably going to have less income and be in a lower tax bracket in retirement. So like, you know, people that are 
making great money late in their career, but right, you know, before retirement, you know, that I do think those are opportunities to take deductions when you're in your high bracket and, and, you know, pay some income taxes in retirement at a lower bracket. Having said that, we just, we don't know how tax brackets will change. And if someone thinks that tax brackets will increase in the future, even if you're in your higher earnings years, high tax brackets now, as we've already established, aren't really all that high. So again, if cash flow allows, maybe getting money into Roths, if you have the ability through an employer, isn't a bad idea as well. So, you know, all, there's just different, so many unknowns and, and it can be hard to plan, but just different things to think about. I, um, um, you know, I wanted to go, yeah, going back to the, you know, ways to get money into a Roth, you know, so we talked about if you have the ability through a, through an, through a company plan, like a 401k, 403b, 457, anybody, anybody that has one of those as an option can do it, you know, regardless of of income, whereas, you know, making that that regular kind of a Roth IRA contribution, you know, outside of an employer, you know, there are income limitations, but there are a couple other ways to potentially do it. And, you know, one way is through what's called a Roth conversion. Uh, several years ago, so it used, used to be that there were income limitations to these as well, but then several years ago, they, they, they removed those limitations so that anybody uh, could do a Roth conversion uh, regardless of income. And basically what a conversion is, is if you have pre-tax money in a, in a traditional IRA, you can convert it and, and by that basically take it out of the IRA pay the income taxes on it that year and then and then put you know put it into a Roth and anybody so anybody can do this um, you know regardless of age or or income so basically the, the you know the bottom line is you're going to pay the pay the taxes on it in the year in which you do it uh, but mm-hmm. then you can put you know basically there's no limit you can I mean right there's I don't think there's a uh, I don't think there's a dollar amount limit either you can do yeah. as much as you want mm-hmm. uh, take it out of the IRA put it into a Roth and basically that's it and we do that for some of our clients you know, based on, you know, like if, if they're in a particular year where they're in a very low tax bracket, you know, you know, relative to maybe previous years uh, or something like that, you know, we think that, the, you know, that probably makes some sense. And so that is an option for, for folks that are, that maybe want to try to do a Roth, but are, you know, don't have those other options uh, available to them. And then there's, <laughs> and then there's one more, I, I know, uh, do you want to talk about it? I think, I think I, you know, I, I understand all, I think all the ins and outs, although, you know, we always like to, this is kind of a complicated one. And so, you know, we're not, you know, we always, the caveat is that, you know, we're not, uh, we're not accountants and, you know, discuss this with your accountant before doing it because there are potential, you know, issues with this, but uh, it's basically called a backdoor Roth uh, contribution. What, so in a, you know, in a nutshell, you, you, you do a non-deductible IRA contribution, you know, so 6,000 or 7,000, you know, whatever the, you know, the, the annual uh, limitations are. And then, so you don't get a deduction and then you have to wait a period of time. Now, this is where it gets a little fuzzy um, because there are, depending on who you talk to, you get, you get different answers, but you need to wait you know, a certain amount of time so that it doesn't look, <laughs> so that it doesn't look exactly right. like you're trying to do this. Although the fact that the IRS allows people to do it, you know, I, you know, it's, it's kind of a funny thing, but you know, some people say you should wait a year. Some people say as long, you know, as, as short as a month, again, you know, talk to your accountant, but so basically you put it into a non-deductible IRA, you wait a period of time, and then you convert that to, to a Roth. And you basically you know, bypassing the the income limitations of just doing a regular 
you know, uh, uh, just putting it right into the Roth. There, and again, there, there are, there are some other complications that if you have, if you have existing IRAs, then there's another rule. And I don't want to get into it, but there's another rule where you have to take those into account and you might have to pay some taxes on, on those. And then, so it gets a little complicated, but if all you have in retirement money is in a 401k, then this is potentially something that you can do uh, because the 401ks are not subject to this aggregation rule, which, which again, complicates things. Um, yeah. So in other words, when you make that non-deductible contribution, you didn't take the tax deduction anyway. So if you could convert it right to a Roth, it's basically the same as making a Roth contribution because you just take your taxes already, no worries. Yeah, so the, the problem lies in if you have other IRA money, rollover IRA money, that is, you know, it has already, it, you already received a tax deduction on it. You can't convert just the non-deductible dollars to a Roth. You can't pick and choose. I'm only going to convert these non-deductible dollars to a Roth. If you have other IRA money, it's going to do a pro rata conversion. So like if you have 6,000 bucks in that non-deductible IRA and like 600,000 bucks in a, in a rollover IRA, it's going, you're going to pay almost a hundred percent taxes or 99% taxes due on that 6000 that you convert because it's factoring in all of your deductible IRA money and it does a pro rata pro rata conversion in other words you can't just say i'm only going to convert these non-deductible dollars it's not taxable because it's just it's not that simple having said that i don't know like i don't know well i i guess having said that i don't know how closely that's tracked right. by accountants or people or how often that if it's caught by the irs if it's not done properly that i don't that i don't know yeah I mean, it's and that way, and I'm not telling people to do it and, and be unethical about it. Right. <laughs> it's not that was not the point of that. Well, yeah, I mean, I guess I guess the point is, yeah, we all you know, we always say talk to your accountant before, you know, employing yeah. this type of strategy. But it but it is potentially um, something that works. Yeah. All right. So we just have like five or six minutes. I just wanted to before the break, I wanted to talk about sort of places that people can go to find deductions if they're looking for deductions, because, you know, one of the questions we get frequently is, you know, like, for example, you know, if somebody's maxing their 401k or maxing, you know, a couple of retirement plans through work, where else can people go to save money? Maybe they're looking for a tax deduction. Maybe they don't need to be looking for a tax deduction. That's a whole nother story. But, you know, I just want to get to kind of talk through where people can go to be looking for places to save money tax efficiently. So, okay. So, you know, number one, of course, we already talked about uh, retirement plans for employers. Uh, You know, if you're looking for deductions, obviously look there first. 401ks, 403bs, 457s, like the smart plan, for example, for municipal employees. Uh, Some executives are... uh, uh, made available to them uh, deferred compensation. So that, that's generally at the executive level for large corporations. But basically people can just defer some compensation and take it, it later in retirement or separation from service. Also, I just wanted to touch on options for people that are self-employed. So for self-employed people, there are options in addition to just a traditional IRA, Roth IRA. There are what we call solo Ks, or basically you could set up a 401k for yourself, 401k and profit sharing options, even if you're self-employed and, and it's just you. But, uh, self-employed people also have the option to do SEP IRAs, SEP. You can get about, for a self-employed person, you can get about 20% of your net Schedule C income into a SEP. Technically, it's an employer contribution. So if you have employees, 
you have to make contributions for all employees. That's why they're great for they're great for self-employed. They're great for people that are in family businesses. You can get a bunch of money in there. And also just touching on spousal contributions. So sometimes like if one spouse is working and has a retirement plan available through their employer, and if the other spouse doesn't, maybe there's an at-home spouse, there are uh, any at-home spouse can still make, even if he or she doesn't have earned income in his or her name, um, he or she can make what's called a spousal IRA contribution. Limits are pretty low, 6,000 bucks under 50, 7,000 bucks over 50. But uh, even though there's not earned income, an employer plan for the at-home spouse, or even though there might not be earned income in that at-home spouse's name, they can make, they can just make a traditional IRA um, contribution, kind of a spousal contribution. They can also make a Roth contribution if income allows, but that's, that's an option for some people. And also just, um, just want to touch on HSAs. So health savings accounts are a great option for people to tuck money away in a tax efficient way. So for people that have high deductible health plans, even if you don't have an HSA available through your employer, if you have an, if you have a high deductible health plan, you can go out and get your own HSA and tuck money in there tax efficiently. Um, you get a tax break on dollars that go in and you can pay any medical expenses uh, out of your HSA. So it's a very tax efficient way to pay medical expenses. I think a, I think a married couple can put like 7,000 or 7,200 bucks per year in there. I think that's the limit this year. And, and HSAs are great. They're different from FSAs, which are flexible spending accounts, HSAs, health savings accounts, you have to have a high deductible health plan and there are certain specifications for what qualifies, but those are great because if you don't use those dollars in current year, they just roll forward indefinitely. So you can roll those tax efficient dollars into your retirement and um, you can use those for medical expenses in retirement too. So that's a great way to tuck if you're married six or I think it's about 7,000 for a year in there and you can even invest dollars in there and uh, you know maybe don't invest all the dollars, but you can even invest stuff in there and, and have that go for a long time. Anyway, all right, we got to take a quick break. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed, joined on video by my daughter, Arden Reed, uh, and and on air by my husband, Kirk Reed. And we're just taking a quick break. We're talking about how taxes are super fun, and we will be right back. And we're back. All right. So we're talking about taxes today. Uh, so this is McNamara on Money, the South Shore's very own financial talk radio show. My name is Kirk Reed, and I am joined today by my wife and business partner, Alyssa McNamara-Reed. Welcome back. Thank you. Sorry for that little break. Do we have kids l- needed a few l- things. Little kiddos uh, need, yeah, requiring something? Uh, always, Kirk. Yes. Always. Yes. I, I, I guess I knew the answer to that, yeah. Yeah. So, All right, so... Yeah, right Go ahead. Be- yeah, so right before the break, uh, so, well, yeah, topic today is taxes, and I know you are making it fun uh, on, on your end, uh, for sure. Um, you know, we're talking about uh, historical uh, tax brackets for, versus where they are today. Uh, you know, today we are in relatively low uh, tax brackets, uh, and, you know, obviously the question is always, well, where do we go from here? And, you know, we certainly don't know that. Um, you know, potentially at some point, um, I guess if, if nothing is done, right, you know, the, the old tax code is going to come back in 2025 um, if, if nothing happens, uh, depending on... It's 20, 26, I think. Okay. I think it's 26. Or maybe it end, maybe 2025 is the, is the last year. Maybe is the last year. Is the last yeah. year. Um, yeah. You know, so potentially, you know, several, a few more years of, of, of the current uh 
tax you know tax brackets uh you know we don't know <laughs> i guess we i don't know i don't know if we know who's president or not yet uh but you know depending on you know who that is um yeah. you know that you know could change uh in the, in the future um so basically what we were talking about today is well you know maybe are some things you can do to kind of take advantage of you know the current situation um and you know all, all we can kind of do is is work with what we know um, and, 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 you know, try to, try to, try to make our best plan for, for going forward with, you know, making some, you know, making some certain assumptions. And, you know, we talked about, you know, potentially taking advantage of Roth IRAs, um, you know, in the current years, uh, with tax brackets, again, being relatively low, um, you know, putting some money, you know, paying some taxes now to get the money into a Roth, uh, which then you can, um, you know, enjoy, you know, taking distributions from those in the future, uh, tax-free, um, you know, regardless of what, you know, tax brackets are. Uh, so it's kind of, you know, taking advantage, you know, you know, taking advantage of what we know, uh, versus kind of the unknown. Um, and of course, situation dependent, you know, depending on your, you know, your, you know, your overall, uh, tax picture. Um, and, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if you mentioned yeah where we're gonna go next uh, or what, oh, because I know we talked about accumulator accumulators. So maybe we we'll talk about just you know, you know, once you get to you know retirement age or to the point where you're going to start taking money out of uh, you know your portfolio, out of your you know retirement accounts. You know, what does that look like? Um, you know, tax wise, and you know maybe what are some things you can do? Um, you know, depending on you know the given year and and what your situation looks like. That is exactly correct, Kirk. The yeah. outline calls for tax considerations while spending down. Mm. So I guess I wanted to start by talking about um, liquidation order when you have, and this comes into play when you have what I call, I guess, tax diversification of your financial assets uh, in retirement years. So in our world, there's basically three types of uh, financial accounts from a t- that are different from a tax perspective. Actually, there's four. Yeah. So um, number one, retirement accounts, 401ks, 403bs, rollovers, IRAs, SEPs, simples. Lot, there's lots of them. Um, basically, all retirement accounts where you took a tax deduction up front, and you're going to pay 100% income taxes on all dollars that you come out that come out in retirement. So one is retirement account where you're paying income taxes on all dollars. The second type is Roth accounts, where you're paying zero taxes on, on all the dollars. The third type is what we call non-qualified, so non-retirement accounts, so individual investment accounts, jointly owned uh, trust accounts, um, non-retirement accounts, where you were paying some taxes along the way, and you have what's called a tax basis, and so dollars that come out, you're paying capital gains taxes, which under current tax code and for a long time have been lower, are lower than income taxes. So we call those like a pretty tax efficient account. You've already paid some taxes on it and you're paying, you're, you're, it's lightly taxed when it comes out. That's the third type, non-qualified. And then the fourth type is non-qualified variable annuity, which is, again, you have a basis for taxes, which represents your capital in or your dollars into the annuity. And then only the growth, the earnings on the annuity come out and you pay income taxes on that, you get your capital back tax-free, just like in a similar to a non-qualified account. Um, 
So, so I guess really there's four types. Is that what you were thinking was the fourth type, the annuity? Yes. Yeah. So I just, I like to make the point that there's a difference between what's most a tax, what's most tax efficient in current year versus what's most tax efficient over your lifetime of drawing funds out of your portfolio. And again, I could go one step further and say that, that that's also different from what's most tax efficient if you're going to be leaving a legacy or if it's important for you to leave a legacy to your kids. Um, And if we have time, we'll touch on that at the end. So if you think about like what's most tax efficient for one year, like if you just were planning for one year at a time, what's most tax efficient is you defer drawing from your retirement account because you can defer paying income taxes at full income tax rates. And you would draw from any Roth money because that's all tax free. And and then next after Roth money would be non-qualified money because that's lightly taxed. So then the last place you would go is retirement money. That's, that's, that would be a good plan if you were planning for one year. And another, you know, another, another, you know, another bucket, I guess, a fifth bucket would be cash, you know, cash in the bank. Um, yeah, okay, yeah. You know, money, you know, ca- you know, it's money you've already paid taxes on uh, and it's basically just, you know, it's sitting there available for withdrawal without any, without any tax ramifications whatsoever. Yeah, absolutely. So I just, I think it's prudent to plan for a retirement a, a, a lifetime versus planning that factoring in taxes over the life of your plan versus just planning for one year. Because what would happen is if you just planned for one year at a time and you were just always taking money out of your most tax efficient place, you're going to draw down your Roths pretty quickly. Those aren't generally aren't huge accounts. We're not yet seeing huge balances in Roths because Roth 401ks and 403bs just haven't been around that long. Kirk, I think 20, 30 years from now, we're going to be seeing large balances in Roths. At least I hope so. That means people were pumping money in there. Um, But now we're seeing, you know, generally the balance of a Roth is smaller than your other assets. It's 97. Income limits. 1997 is when Roth uh, introduced it. And and they haven't, and they're still not available in all retirement plans. So they're just, they haven't been, they haven't grown in popularity, but I think that will change. It, it is changing. Um, anyway, so so if you were planning for one year at a time, you'd, you'd blow through your Roth like really quickly, like, you know, I don't know, in a year or two or three, right? Those would be gone. And you'd have no place to get tax-free money unless you had cash in the bank. Um, then you would blow through your non-retirement assets. Again, just the way that most people save, which I, I do think makes sense, is that you know in retirement generally your largest asset is your like your 401k your rollover IRA, um, and so unless people receive an inheritance generally or for or we're just really really good savers saving outside of 401ks, not a lot of people have huge non qualified balances. Again, people that receive inheritances that's that's different, um, or or have like a, a real estate property that was sold and and have a large cash balance. Uh, or non-qualified balance. But anyway, so so if you just blew through your Roths, and let's pretend you're under age 72 when you're retiring and taking money, and then you would you would probably, you could go through your non-qualified accounts really quickly, and then you would leave yourself with your retirement accounts where you're drawing money out and you're paying taxes on all dollars. And so what happens is 
in your early years, you'd pay like almost no taxes as you're going through that really tax efficient stuff. And then you'd be drawing large sums out of your retirement account. Um, hopefully your retirement account is large, you know, large and you can draw large sums out. And then all of a sudden you're bumping into some like what high tax brackets, high in air quotes, right? Uh, because we know that tax brackets are not high compared to history, but higher than if you were in like a 0% tax bracket, you know, pulling money out of bank cash and broths and, and non-qualified accounts. So that strategy over a 20 or 30 year lifetime does not make tax sense in my opinion. So what, what I plan to do or what I do with most of my clients is it's sort of a balancing act. We sort of, you know, we, we want to stretch the life of of, I like to stretch the life of the non-qualified assets, those being the lightly taxed ones. I personally like to, where possible, save Roth IRAs for as long as possible because you just can maximize tax-free growth and investment earnings. So I like to be you know, pretty aggressive with client Roth dollars and save those for a while because you'll just take advantage of tax-free income. Uh, tax-free earnings, excuse me on that. And and draw, I, I like to draw from retirement accounts, accounts for my clients before they're required to, because we can bear in mind, like let's draw some out and try to stay in this bracket or, that's, or that bracket, especially for clients that have really large, you know, retirement account balances. You know, if you've got a million or two or three million bucks in, in a 401k or in retirement accounts, congratulations, number one, but also, you know, when you get to your required distributions, if you've got a $3 million IRA, you know, your required distribution is going to be what? 120,000, yeah, $20,000. And depending on what your other sources of income are, you know, that's going to, that could bump you up there. Um, so if you can draw down, you know, nominal dollars, you know, before you're required to, and that, that has the effect of getting money out while in a low bracket and also has the effect of slightly lowering your future required draw. Cause some people with these really large retirement account balances also, you know, think about the people that, that are really good little doobies and save their money. Right. And they have large retirement account balances. Those sometimes are also the people that get to required distributions and they don't need all the money. You know, they just, you know, their, their, their spending is modest relative to their income. They've been good savers for a long time. And, you know, they, you get to this four straw of 120,000 and sometimes people are like, what am I supposed to do with this money? <laughs> um, so you can effectively, you know, slightly lower required draw, which actually works and helps for those people that, that, that don't want it or need it. Um, yeah. And from a, you know, from a practical uh, point of view, you know, I think, you know, not not exhausting, you know, the the, the Roth and the, and the non-qualified money. Uh, that makes sense because, you know, people's, you know, people make their budgets, right? They, you know, they, they have, you know, what their monthly expenses are, but inevitably there are, you know, one-time expenses that come up, you know, every year. I mean, th- things come up, you know, you, you do, you know, maybe you want to take a trip or you need to replace, you know, some, you know, big item in your house, you know, an appliance or something that costs, you know, thousands of dollars. And, you know, it's, it wasn't, 
in your budget, so to speak. And if you know if you have this uh, Roth or non-qualified, you know that's that's probably a good place to grab the money from because it's not hopefully it's not going to change your tax situation as much. Because uh, if you have to take it out of a you know out of a four hundred one k or an IRA, you're going to pay taxes. And if you weren't planning on it, you know that you know you could be in a in a bracket that maybe you weren't you know maybe you were trying to avoid. Um, so just from a practical point of view, you know, I'm arguing for what you're saying is that it, you know, it makes sense to not, you know, not maybe not just, you know, take all the money from the, from the, from the non-qualified stuff and, you know, maybe take some money from, you know, from an IRA, um, at, at, you know, at a low bracket to help kind of preserve some of this, um, the, you know, some of the, the more tax efficient monies that you have set aside. Yeah. Um, I think we have enough time to have a relatively short discussion on the difference between uh, what's best for a particular client in terms of tax efficient draw from their portfolio in retirement years and what's best for a particular client who, um, you know, let's say either wants to leave a, a legacy to their kids. Well, most people want to, some people aren't concerned. Sometimes they have kids that are, you know, very financially well off more so than they are. And they're kind of like, I'm not worried about it. Um, but there are some people who are in this great situation of they have more money than they likely will need in their lifetime. Right. And those people are intending or, you know, want to leave X dollars to their heirs. Right. So there are some times where I have conversations with the, first of all, again, congratulations if you're in that position and you have accumulated more than enough wealth than you need to sustain your lifestyle in retirement. That's great. Um, so sometimes when I'm talking to clients that are in this position, generally having these conversations later in life, you know, maybe late seventies or eighties, where we're pretty sure they're not gonna be outliving their assets. We start to have these conversations regarding, okay, well, what is what is efficient for you from a tax perspective in terms of minimizing your taxes due is uh, is the worst tax plan when it comes to leaving money to your kids. So what I mean by that is like think of someone who's 80 years old and they have, um, I don't know, a million dollars in a retirement account and $500,000 in a non-retirement account. Um, so that person and let's just assume that that's more money than they really need they don't need this money um that person what's best for them and they're in required distribution so what's best for them is that they would take their required distribution from their ira so i don't know at age 80 it's like five and a half percent or six percent or something right so they would take that from their ira and then whatever other dollars they needed they would take from that non-qualified account, right? So they're paying some taxes on their required distribution and then let's take the rest from the non-qualified account. But if we think about, and, and, and again, you have to be really careful and and you know come to the conclusion that they, they really won't likely spend all this money and it's going to the kids. It's better for the kids to inherit the non-qualified money than the large retirement account. Right. Because under current tax code, and actually it's even worse for them with, with the tax change about a year ago and with the SECURE Act about a year ago, the change in inherited IRA structure, it's now even worse than it was uh, prior to that for people to inherit, for, for kids to inherit their parents' retirement accounts. So 
I don't, you know, we've, we've done a whole show on the SECURE Act, so I have to be pretty quick here, but when kids, let's just say a non-spouse, in most of the time, when they inherit um, their parents' retirement account, they used, under prior tax code, they could stretch it out and take their own required distributions and really just like have that for their lifetime and take a small life expectancy draw. Now, post-SECURE Act, which was about a year ago, um, now they only have 10 years to draw money out of that retirement account. Um, the, the, the government wants to recoup those taxes and they don't want in, indefinite tax deferral on those dollars. So it's even worse now for kids to inherit large retirement account balances. Actually, I shouldn't say it's worse. Like it, this is not a bad thing <laughs> to inherit a large, you're inheriting a million dollar high rate. This is great. It's a good problem. But good I'm, problem. Just, I'm talking, yeah, these are first, first world problems, right? Um, so, but it, but again, if you're inheriting a million dollar IRA and let's pretend this person has one kid and you only have 10 years to draw it out, you're taking a hundred grand a year, if not more with investment earnings. And you know, what's your tax bracket and where is that gonna bump you? So, you know, so it's, it's worse than being able to stretch that million dollar IRA into your own retirement and beyond. So, you know, again, we're talking to the client that hasn't passed yet, right? This hypothetical client. And we can have that conversation about, it's actually better for you, for your kid, for you to take more money out of your IRA, preserve the non-qualified account, pay taxes at your probably low tax bracket compared to your working kid, right? I don't know, just based on ages here. Um, your kid is probably still working and earning, probably in a higher tax bracket. And better for mom or dad there to spend down the IRA and get money out in a low tax bracket, preserve the non-qualified for the next generation, because also don't forget that the, the next generation, again, still under current tax code, gets a full step up in basis on, on that non-qualified account, meaning essentially vaporizing any unrealized tax gains when mom or dad were living. So it, it's a super efficient strategy for, for someone older um, to spend down their IRA, preserve non-qualified and definitely Roth money for the next generation. Um, again, to be perfectly clear, worse for that, for that, you know, mom or dad, worse for them from a tax perspective, but it's, but you know, if, if it's important for them to do something tax efficient for their kids, better their kids situation, and they don't need all the money anyway, and they can afford to pay the taxes, it's at least a strategy worth pursuing. And I get really excited about talking about this stuff. You but, know, and if, um, it, and well, actually, you know, as a, a counterpoint, if, you know, if, if the older person maybe is requiring lots of, you know, medical care, you know, uh, things that are potentially, you know, deductible, yeah, then, then it's yeah. possible, you know, taking money out of the IRA, maybe maybe it's not the worst, you know, maybe it's not that bad for them if they have a lot of deductions. Um, yeah, you're right, you're so, right. So it might, you know, in a normal world, yeah, you wouldn't want to, you know, you don't want to be taking all the money from the IRA, maybe, but uh, depending on your, you know, again, this is, it's tax situation dependent. And uh, if you have a lot of deductions, taking money out of the IRA and if, if you pay a little or no taxes, uh, you know, that, that might not be, that may not be bad. Again, you know, talk, talk to your accountant, talk to your attorney, <laughs> Yeah, but, 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 yeah. That, but that might work. Yeah. Well, it's exciting to do that sort of planning now. And I, and I guess I will just say again, that I, I, I do strongly feel that this type of planning is really only appropriate when we're pretty sure that mom or dad really don't need the assets and, and we're, 
so the planning transition when you're at a period of time if and when you you get to a period of time where the tax planning transitions from uh just you and your life to you and the extended family and and leaving a legacy um that's when that's when the draw from the portfolio could change again it's you know, not everyone may reach that point. Not everyone may even want to um, think about that and, and plan for the next generation versus just themselves. And that's totally fine. Um, but I just think it's kind of interesting to plan for, um, you know, everybody loves their kids and all that. Like, I just, I, I think it's kind of fun to plan for, you know, and just think about it a little bit differently. And again, take advantage of a different tax bracket for someone you know, older and on social security maybe. And, you know, that doesn't require much income. So it doesn't have much taxable income. It's just, it's, it's a very different tax situation than someone, maybe their adult child who's working and could be in a higher tax bracket. So anywho, all right, we have five or six minutes left. Um, I, you know, the only other thing that I really had on the outline Kirk along the heading of, under the heading of taxes are fun. We're just kind of like debunking some tax myths. And actually that would be actually really fun to do a whole show on that. We need to find a CPA that will join us on air and help us debunk some tax myths. Um, and if there's a CPA listening, or if you know a CPA who might be interested, we would be happy to take an introduction. Um, you could call the office or you could call WATD 781-837-4900. You could call McNamara Financial 781-834-2010. Historically, we've had a little bit of a hard time getting accountants to join us on the air. They get a little bit nervous. Well, and they're busy. Um, they're busy. like Yeah, does. and they're busy. We always want to like do a tax show around tax time. And that's, of course, the worst time to do a tax show because you can't get any accountants to join you on mm-hmm. here. No way. <laughs> this this would be a good time to do a tax show as we're, as we're planning for a new year and, you know, uh, uh, accountants won't be very busy for, um, a couple of months. So, um, for what that's worth, if anybody is a CPA listening and wants to join us, please give us a call. Always, uh, always would welcome new guests on the show. Um, so we don't really have a lot of time to debunk any tax myths, but you know, just one really quickly is, and, and it's a little bit different now with the changes in the tax code, but like how many times have you heard people say, I'm an, I don't want to pay off my mortgage. I'm going to keep it because I get a tax break. Mm, yes. And it's just so funny. It's just so funny. And yes, under prior tax code and in current tax code, but mostly under prior tax code, um, people, you know, mortgage interest being tax deductible, but you'll always pay more in interest to the bank then you will receive in a tax deduction, number one, uh, even with low interest rates. But number two, now that the standard deduction is so high, mortgage interest is only deductible if you are itemizing. So if you're taking a standard deduction, which for now is what, like 12,500 or 13,000 per person. So if you're a married couple, your standard deduction is like $25,000. So. I think I saw a statistic now in 2019, something like 90% of Americans took the standard deduction. So very few people are itemizing. Um, so we can certainly debunk that one in most situations uh, for most mortgages that are under, I don't know, something like four or $500,000, um, then um, even for a single person, right? Yeah, so, and a significantly larger mortgage, you know, anything under, 
for a married couple filing jointly. Well, it depends on your other deductions too, but um, not always a good reason to hold a mortgage just for the tax deduction, I mean. Right. Um, okay, so, and then, you know what, we're gonna save the rest of the myths to be debunked for a show when we get that CPA. Okay? Oh, very, very suspenseful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have to, that would be fun to sit down and come up with that list. Um, but I think that would be a really good show. Um, all right, so a little bit of information. Um, so first of all, you've been listening to McNamara on money. I We just have a couple minutes left. I hope that this conversation, well, we always hope our conversation is helpful to you. We were talking about how taxes are so fun. We promise taxes can be fun. That was, I actually did have a lot of fun comparing prior tax brackets to current. The numbers are just crazy. Tax brackets are low, take advantage people. Um, they might not always be. Um, you can find out more about us at McNamaraOnMoney.com uh, or McNamaraFinancial.com. We also have an office in the Merrimack Valley. And so you can uh, go to McNamaraOfTheMerrimack.com to find out more about us. If you like our show and miss part of it or want to hear past shows, you can find our podcast on your podcast app. You would search McNamara on Money to find our podcast, which we uh, which come out two one-hour podcasts every week. That that is time to wrap it up. I'm Alyssa McNamara Reed, joined by Kirk Reed this morning. Taxes are fun. We promised. See, isn't that the case? I hope everyone enjoys the weekend and stays well. Goodbye, everybody. Bye bye.